0: We are going to embark on a study of a very small but very well known book of the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the book of Jonah for a while here. Um, I was kind of looking over my notes over the years of, of ministry, and about seven years ago, I did a short study on this book uh, during our Wednesday um, prayer Bible study that we were having at that time. Um, I found that I have preached a message out of the book of Jonah over my 38 years, but I have never preached through this whole book, and I I kind of find that as a surprise, so I've really been quite excited um, over the last month, uh, you know, as I've been kind of looking at the book and getting resources together, those sort of things that what God is revealing to me um, as I began to open this book up. Um, Today, And then tonight at the 242 group, and once again, I know Pastor Mike mentioned it, um, but we have three groups that are meeting. Uh, We could probably um, still have room for probably at least four in each of those groups. Um, you know, so if you would like to participate, it's at 5 o'clock tonight, um, it's it's for Bible study, it's for fellowship, to get to know, to know your brother in Christ, we just talked in, in the ABF, the adult ABF, about iron sharpening iron, and, and the value of, of, of when we're together, and just how discipleship happens, and we'd love you to be part of that, um, if you're available this evening, uh, just let me know right after the service, and I'll get you plugged in uh, to one of those groups, um, but, but starting tonight, today and tonight, um, we're just going to take a bird's eye view of this whole book. And then probably for the rest of the summer, uh, we're going to dig deeper into the revelation that God has given us in the book of, Revel- uh, in the book of Jonah. Um, I-, I think we'd all admit that even non-believers are familiar with the story of Jonah. But for most people, it's kind of put in the category of a children's fairy tale, you know, kind of like Jack and the Beanstalk. And even as Christians, as we you know, think about Jonah in the book of Jonah, we get so caught up in the story that we forget the lessons of why God has, has canonized that scripture and this truth for us. We forget those lessons that God is trying to teach us. And so so we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be, we're going to, over the next months here, we're going to be digging deep into this book. But, but first and foremost, I want to tell you that this is a true story. Jonah is real. He's a real man. The story that happened to him that's encompassed in these four chapters, it's real as well. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus Christ quotes Jonah. He refers to Jonah. And he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So it is a true story. He is a real man. This is a real life event that was recorded for us. Now the story opens in verses 1, 1 through 3, and we're just going to skip you know, like, like a stone over the surface here uh, throughout the book, just some verses from each chapter. But in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh and cry, the, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now if we can get just a little bit of background information, it's going to give a a lot of depth to the story. So Jonah is told to go to a, a city called Nineveh to preach. Nineveh at that time was a great city. You know, it, it was a city of almost 120,000 people. And it also was a Gentile city. He wasn't told to go and preach you know, to, to a city in Israel, but he was told to, to go to a Gentile city. Now, we'll go ahead and put a map up there for you, if you would. So, here we know Jonah is probably located in this area somewhere around here where God came and God spoke to him. So, when God spoke to him, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, about 550 miles. Uh, it's kind of inland here, but we know that he refused it and he went over 2,500 miles or at least that was his destination, his intention to run away from God, to get away from God, to get away from God's will. God said, I want you to go east and Jonah went west. Now you have to ask yourself the question, why did Jonah not want to go to preach to Nineveh? Matter of fact, someone can correct me after the service if they know an example of this but i believe that this is the only example of a prophet in the bible that ever said no to god you know there was no here my lord send me now what's the question god said jonah this is what i want you to do and by his actions jonah said no why Why not go and preach? You know, that's what he was. He was a heralder. He was a prophet. He proclaimed the word. Well, many scholars believe that Jonah simply did not want the Gentiles to receive God's grace. You know, Nineveh Nineveh was a Gentile nation. Um, I I think that's probably some truth to that. But it goes even deeper than that. And and if we get a quick history lesson, we can understand kind of the animosity that, that Jonah would have had towards Nineveh. If you remember way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, there was a, a period in times where God was ruling his people, Israel, through kings. First he had Saul, then you had David, and David had a son named Solomon. And at that time, the 12 tribes under David, under Solomon, the, the tribes were all united. But when Solomon died, the kingdom split. His son, Rehoboam, and, and uh, someone who usurped authority, his name was Jeroboam, split the kingdom. So you have 10 northern kingdoms, and they would be referred to as Israel, and then you have the two southern kingdoms, which we re- referred to often as Judah. Um, the 10 northern kingdoms had 20 kings that ruled, and not a single one of them was godly. Every single one, single one of them, constantly doing the sin of Jeroboam, it refers to it. The, that kingdom, the 10 kingdoms lasted for about 210 years. Again, every king is evil. They set up false religions. There was idolatry, was was rampant. God's message warned Israel about about the judgment that was going to be coming on them. They knew because of their disobedience that they were going to be judged. Now, if you put that all together, Jonah lives about 160 years into the, the, the 10 northern kingdoms. He's a prophet to the north. You know, he, he can read the signs. God has been saying he's going to judge them for their idolatry, for their unbelief, for their disobedience. I mean, Jeroboam II is the king during the time of Jonah, and evil is mounting during his reign. In 50 short years, God is going to bring judgment upon Israel. Does anyone remember what nation that God will allow to destroy Israel? What nation destroys the ten kingdoms? What nation? The Assyrians. And anybody know what the capital of Assyria is? Nineveh. The capital of Assyria is Nineveh. And and again, even if God, excuse me, even if Jonah didn't know all of this truth that the Assyrians in 50 years would come down and Nineveh would, even if he didn't know all of this, the interesting, the neat thing about the story is that God knew. God knew all of this. God offering his grace, his forgiveness to Nineveh, it was no random choice. He could have chosen any Gentile city to send this message to, but he didn't. You see, the book of Jonah, the point of the book is not about man gets swallowed by a a big fish. This story, this true-to-life story is a story of God's grace. It's about God's forgiveness, It's about the length of God's mercy and how far it would go. That the very nation that within 50 years is going to massacre his chosen people. The very nation that they tried to strike fear in the nations around them. So when they defeated you, they would skin their enemies alive. They would take their enemies and they'd use them to build human bridges to fill in ravines so their troops could walk across them. That very nation, God says, Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to preach to them. And folks, that God who is the same yesterday, today, forever, that God who was God some you know, 2,800 years ago when this happened, he is the same today. And through these events, we ask, why did he you know, record this book for us? Because he wants to, you to know the length of his grace, of his forgiveness, of his mercy and he used this story some 8 you know 800 years you know before Christ would even come to show his grace and mercy and then when Jesus was here Jesus would refer to this story he would refer to Jonah as an example of his grace and mercy and the power over death and the cross and the resurrection and and becoming a child of his it's all so beautifully put together and so Jonah he jumps on a ship And he tries to get away from the will of God. And we know the story. We're not going to read it all. You know, he gets on the ship and he goes down below and he goes to sleep. And God sends this huge storm. The ship is being rocked. And, you know, it's a violent storm. Um, God reveals to the sailors that the storm is Jonah's fault. And ultimately, we know that Jonah is thrown overboard. And it says as soon as Jonah is thrown overboard... The sea calms down. And then verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pause for a second there and answer the question Is it really possible for a man to live for three days and three nights in the stomach of a fish? I have seen all sorts of explanations about this. I've seen Christians come up with there are certain fish they've discovered that have air pockets in their stomach, and you know that's why you could have air and breathe and all those things. And yeah, that, that's all just silliness. The very simple answer is it possible? The answer is no. It's not possible. That's why it's a miracle. <laughs> that's what God was doing here. It, it's a miracle. You know, God who creates, God who sustains, the God who calmed the storm, the God who can suspend time. He transcends the very laws of nature and he makes it. So a fish comes, a big fish comes and swallows Jonah. And I don't even care how it happens, whether he especially formated the the fish formatted the fish that he could survive in there or whether he just miraculously made it that Jonah didn't have to be able to breathe and it doesn't matter folks this is a miracle God sustained Jonah in the belly of a fish but again you know we all want to be part of a miracle (laughs) I'm not sure we'd want to be part of this miracle um because it certainly wasn't pleasant what Jonah was experiencing matter of fact skimming chapter two just a few verses here in chapter 2, the first part, you know, Jonah says, I called out of my distress. So he's in the midst of this miracle. And he's in distress. Verse 3 For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. Verse 5 Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth and its bars were around me forever. This is horrible. I mean, the way that that Jonah is describing his experience at this point. But as horrible as this was, Jonah's worst moment was expressed in verse 4. It says there, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. The worst moment for Jonah was when, he, when it came to the realization that he had been expelled from the, the presence of God. And at that moment, Jonah said, my God, what have I done? How did I think that I could outrun your will in doing what you have asked me to do? And so soaked to the bones, seaweed covering him, We're told that the fish vomits Jonah up on the beach. And there he lays on the beach. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord, there he is, he's laying there, he's he's on the beach. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. So I find it interesting that absolutely nothing changed from God's will. From chapter one, verse one, to chapter three, verse two, nothing changed. God's will was still God's will. The only thing that had happened was a lot of pain and suffering that Jonah could have avoided by following God's will. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he delivers the message in verse 4. It says, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. If you know the story, you know that the people of Nineveh, they believed God's word, and they repented. Verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them and when they did this when god looked down and saw this god in his great love and compassion when they repented he forgave them verse 10 when god saw their deeds and that they turned from their wicked way then god relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them and he did not do it so we all know that part of the story and usually even the unsaved people, that's about as far as they get in the story. But one of the greatest lessons we're going to learn is when we get to chapter 4 of Jonah. And one of the most bizarre reactions in all of scripture to seeing God's move and to see the power of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, when just, just way out of left field a reaction happens. It says in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry and he prayed to the Lord and said please lord was not this what i said while i was still in my own country therefore in order to forestall this and i you know this morning i was looking over my notes and those words jumped out at me in order to forestall this you know to delay it he probably knew god's will was going to be fulfilled one way or the other but i'm going to put it off as long as i can and so to forestall your will I fled to Tarsus, for I know that you are gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. And I can't even imagine how Jonah said those words to him. Not like we say them. You are gracious and compassionate God. You are slow to anger. You know, we rejoice in your loving kindness. You relent. You don't want to bring calamity. I just imagine Jonah stepping back and say, I knew it. You're just gracious, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger. You know, and then there's that loving kindness thing you got going. I mean, all of it. You just, you just feel the, the bizarreness of Jonah talking to God like this. I mean, folks, it is one thing to have those thoughts, but it's a whole other thing to argue with God and justify one's disobedience with god i mean there are a lot of examples there are a lot of places in scripture where god's prophets pastors somebody was told to go do something that might not be pleasant we think when when saul when he was persecuting the church and when when god on the damascus road called him to himself remember a man was told to go to him you know and 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 tell him about the good news of christ he didn't want to go. I mean, he said, "God, you know who this is." And I said, yeah, I've chosen him, and so he went. We think about Peter. You know, you get to Acts chapter ten and the early birthing of the church. You know, up to that point, it had been, only been in, in in Israel that the word has been preached. But but suddenly, God, <coughs> excuse me, gives him a vision. You know, to go to the Gentiles, and so he goes to the Gentiles, and he and and he, and he preaches the word of God and. And, and the Holy Spirit comes on and sends upon the Gentiles. And did he become angry about it? Did he question God? No, he said, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance. I guess this is what God is doing. But not Jonah. And, and I want to beat up on Jonah for a little bit here. I, I, I usually don't you know, beat up on too many of the prophets. But this one, this one is, is, is really bizarre here. I mean, how often, if you think about it, how often are we kind of like Jonah? And we hold on to just one little area of our lives that we think that we can get away with. You know, thinking that we serve God in so many other areas that it's okay to void God's will in this area. You see, this is Jonah here. He's a prophet of God, means he's a studier of the word of God. He's a messenger to God's people all that he had done for God up to this point, suddenly thinking he has the right to say, God, I've done a lot for you, but I'm not going to do this. For Jonah to think that he could pick and choose his area of obedience. I mean, and then there is the just the the arrogance of Jonah. I mean, who does Jonah think that he is, that he is deserving to have someone who came and told him about the almighty God told him about God's loving kindness and graciousness, Graciousness obviously he knew about it because he kind of throws it back in God's face. I mean, the arrogance of him to think that he deserved it, but just because somebody was born on the wrong side of the tracks, that they don't deserve it? And then when these people do repent and God forgives, to be upset because he doesn't think that they deserve God's grace. I mean, who in the world does Jonah think that he is? Well, I will tell you who Jonah is. Look around you in the seats around you. Look up here. That's who Jonah is. Can you see yourself? Can you see yourself in this story? I mean, so often Christianity, especially in America today, it, it, it so often mirrors the story of Jonah, and once again, because we're always caught up in the big fish part, we never get to the point of it to get the lessons of why God is, is telling us and teaching us this. I mean Christianity it 's written all over Jonah 's story here because folks, we are, we are great worshipers. We give sacrificially, we serve, we study, we pray. But there is really this one area of our faith that really this generation is dropping. One area of God's will for our lives that this area, generation is dropping. And it is the passion to tell other people about Jesus Christ. The passion to personally, individually be part of telling people the gospel news, what Christ did for them. And wherever that person is to help them to understand that and to invite them to be saved. We're not very good at that. But that's okay. Because God and I are good. We worship. We sacrifice. We serve. We study God's word. You know, I am so appreciative of those that God used to show me and tell me about Christ. And I, I've heard almost every single one of your testimonies here, and you talk about Sunday school teachers or youth pastors or pastors or a friend or a coworker, something. You know, someone who, who picked you up as a child because your parents weren't saved and, and took you to church, and, and that's where you heard the message. You know, those who, who served you, those who sacrificed you for you, all that you could hear so you could hear the gospel message. But don't ask me to do the same. Don't ask me to go into Honey Creek every single night and pick up some kids who want to come. Don't ask me to do that. But I'm good with God. Hey, I'm good with God, man. We got all these other things going on. And don't ask me to have a heart that breaks for the lost. Don't ask me to have a... a heart that breaks for the sinfulness of the world around us. It's just easier to criticize. It's easier to, to condemn what's going on around us. I mean, seriously, folks, if we honestly look at our faith, we live in a time and a nation in which we have run away from God's command in that area of sharing our faith. I mean, let me just ask you, who was the last person that you personally shared part of the gospel with? Who was the last person that you you sat down and shared Christ with? Who was the last person? You know, sometimes it's easier to criticize than to do something about it. And I think that's where Jonah was. And unfortunately, I think that's where a lot of us are, a lot of times that I am. I said, who are the, you know, who's Jonah? Look around you, look at me. I mean, it's so easy for us to shield ourselves from all the true calls and commands and the will of God in our life because we have these other areas of obedience. Now, for just a second, I want to go back to what Christ said when, in Matthew 12 when he referred uh, to Jonah. If you remember way back, In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he says, so for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he goes on. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it. will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. These men, what, what does it mean that the men of Nineveh will stand up to testify? Does it, you're going to send them back, resurrect them, bring them back to testify? No. He's talking about the, the example of their life of how far down they were, how far away from God, how bad they were. But God still loved them, and God forgave them, and he brought them into his presence. That's the, the, the testimony that they're going to be sharing you know, Jonah is a foreshadowing. The book of Jonah is a, is a contrast with Jesus Christ. You have Jonah here who is, is a stubborn, defiant instrument of God who reluctantly obeys God, and he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. But then you have Jesus Christ who is loving and compassionate. He's almighty God who doesn't run away from God's will for his life, but he embraces it. He tells the lost about salvation, and ultimately he gives his life as a sacrifice for sin. You have Nineveh, which is a wicked and a cruel people whose sins have overflowed and called down the wrath of God. I mean, humanly speaking, there is not a more undeserving people of God's grace than the Assyrians and the people of Nineveh of their time. And their lives are a testimony to us of God's grace that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Their story is a testimony to us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that there is nothing in your life that you have done that you are doing right now that at this moment, if you don't turn to God, and you ask him to forgive you. If you call out to him from your heart as they did they poured themselves out, it says, in sackcloth and ashes to God, and God forgives. And in forgiving the people of Nineveh, they testify that no one, no one is outside the reach of God's grace. No matter what you have done, God wants to forgive you. He wants you to be a child of his. And, and again, we need to remind ourselves here. Make no mistake. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh, look at the message he gave him. Basically, he says, "In forty days, you're going to be destroyed." And we don't we don't get much reading between the lines here. He just says, "I'm going to destroy you because of your wickedness." And everything that they knew, you know, Jonah being the prophet and Israel and the Almighty God, and all, they put this thing all together, and and they repented. And they said, let's change our ways and see what God will do. But make no mistake, God was going to judge Nineveh's sin. If Nineveh did not repent, you know, they were going to have a Sodom and Gomorrah type experience there. You know, that city was going to be destroyed. God wasn't making some idle threat that in the end he would say, I'm just kidding, I wasn't going to destroy you, but great to have you in the kingdom now. This was serious. And again, we make no mistake today that hell is a real place. And a person is not a Christian, is not a child of God. If our sins have not been forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our destiny is hell. Our destiny is eternal punishment. And God's not going to get to the end and say, well, I just kind of had that out there to scare you to me. This is what God's saying he's going to do. Make, make no, you know, question about it. Hell is a real place. And those who are without Jesus Christ, those friends, those family members, those neighbors, those co-workers, they are going to be in hell if they are not children of his. And Nineveh believed God's message. They repented. They showed words and action. It says down in verse 10, When God saw their deeds and that they had turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. See, for you to be saved, you must repent. You must believe. And when a person does that, when a person agrees with God concerning their sinfulness, forget about the world. And what the world says is okay to do, Forget about the standard the world's put out, that holy standard of God. And when we break that, when we sin, you know, salvation is agreeing with God, seeing our sin as God sees it, seeing our need as God sees it. And when we repent, when we believe that message and we repent, we will find what it said in, in chapter two, verse four. For I know you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. So I want to stop here. And, you know, we've had from the moment we came in here to this worship service a time of remembering, a time of reflecting, a time of looking at Jesus Christ, what he has done for you and how much he loves you. We have asked you to examine your life, to open it up, to, to see where no one else can see. You know, I can put all sorts of facades out here. But God knows what's going on truly in your heart. And if you look in your heart today and you're not sure that you are a child of God, today can be your day that you are saved. Make no mistake, hell is a real place. God wants you to know that, but he also wants you to know that he wants you to be with him in heaven, that he wants to forgive you. And right now, by simply opening up your heart to him, believing, repenting of your sin, you can be saved. In a moment, we're going to pray, and if you would like to pray with me, if this, you would like to give your heart to Jesus Christ, today can be that day that you do that. You know, this is the message that Jesus Christ has given us as Christians. This is the message in, in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. You see that's all part of being a Christian. This morning in ABF when we were talking about disciple, you know, and and again we reminded ourselves we're we're all if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. The question is are you a good one or a bad one? Well, if you're a Christian, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. The question is are you a good one or are you a bad one? It's all part of being a Christian. And you know, it's not about us picking and choosing our obedience. It's not about us being okay in a few areas and not okay in others. When we accepted Christ, he is our Savior, and he is our what? Lord. And, and, and again, you know, we live in a democracy today, and so, so that term is so foreign to us that we would have a ruler over us that whatever his word was, went. But literally, that is what we say when Jesus Christ is our Savior and he is our Lord. And so as God is speaking to you, whatever it might be, whether it is to go tell someone else about Jesus Christ, whether it's maybe another area of our faith that we are just ignoring or we've fled God's will in that area because we're, we feel good about these other areas. God wants total obedience. He wants to be the Lord and Savior of our I'm going to pray in just a moment, and, and, and again, I, I, I never want to, to jump anybody out there. If God is doing a work in your heart, we'd lo- I'd love to talk to you about it. If you need to talk to somebody and, and have them show you from God's word, you know, explain more, answer any questions to you, we would love to do that. And I, as I pray here, if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, you know, at the end, I'm going to, why heads are bowed, I'm going to give you a chance to just raise your hand and let me know that and um, then we will we will we will find you we'll we'll see if there's any questions you have or if there's not praise god we just want to welcome you into the family but but this is way too important for you to go away from here it doesn't matter how many times you've been to church how long it doesn't matter if you've been born in a christian family that isn't going to get you into heaven the only thing that's going to get you into heaven is repentance repentance of our sin and accepting christ's payment on the cross as our payment for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you with such a thankful heart that somebody loved me and cared enough about me to sacrifice, sacrifice their time, their resources, even put themselves out on a limb, Lord, you know, being scorned and laughed at, whatever, they told me about Christ. They poured you into me. And thank you, Father, for the day that I accepted you as my Lord and Savior. Father, on behalf of all Christians here, Lord, we thank you as well. I pray that you will challenge us, Lord, to to be complete in our faith. Father, just put upon our hearts names of people who you want us to share Christ with, even just Take that first step of of a willingness that when you open the door, Father, that, that we will be used, even if it's an uncomfortable situation, that we will be used to tell someone about Christ. And Father, I pray right now for any who want to become a child of yours, that you are working in their heart, you're drawing them to yourself right now, and they're opening their heart to you. They ask you, Father, to forgive them of their sins. Father, accept your shed blood to cover my sins. Father, I want you you to be my Savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't understand it all right now, but I understand enough that you loved me and died for me. And Father, right now I lay myself on the altar before you. You know my heads are, are so about is that you know is there anyone here who has made that decision would like to even talk to somebody you know about that decision is there anyone and i know it's it's tough here and you know and you have got out your friends you've got family here but this is way too important for us to worry about anyone else this is between you and god and you don't want to go away from here today you know with your chance to know christ as your savior And then the end comes, and then it is too late. I open to you that any time during the week. Call. Stop by my office. We have men and women who would love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my heart. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord. The power is your word and your word alone. It's not about... It's not about what I say about the word. Your word is enough. And I thank you for that. Continue to allow it to work in our hearts. Throughout this day, Lord, as we go to the 242 uh, meetings tonight and we get deeper, just remind us throughout this week the call that we have as ambassadors and that you are making your appeal through brothers and sisters in Christ, us. Thank you, Lord. In thy son's name we pray.